Welcome to the Evolving Spiritual Practice Podcast. My name is Ralph Cree. This is brought to you in association with bodyheartmindspirit.co.uk. In this episode, I talk to Lama Sultrim Alioni about her uh, book and practice she's created called Feeding Your Demons, which is a modern rendition uh, for a Western audience, well, a global audience, really, of a Tibetan practice that was created in the 11th century by a lady called Machig Labdrum. Uh, Feeding of Demons is a practice where you, rather than um, pushing away the painful parts of our lives, um, the demons, uh, it's, we actually learn to feed them and care for them and make a sacrificial offering um, to them. And this is actually the way to uh, better psychological, emotional and spiritual health. There are a couple of Lama, Tibetan Lamas have recognised Lama Sultrim as a reincarnation or emanation of Machig Labdrum. So it's uh, very interesting to meet Lama Sultrim and Machig Labdrum all at once uh, in this episode. Lama Sultrim was traveling to india and tibet and nepal uh way before i was even born uh studying with the greatest tibetan uh teachers of uh the, you know recent times um and she's been instrumental in bringing tibetan buddhism to a western audience uh, and she's created an amazing retreat center and uh kind of campus of for uh, the study of Tibetan Buddhism called Tara Mandala in uh, Colorado in America. So in this episode, she leads us through a guided meditation of the feeding your demons practice. Um, and then with some exploration, uh, explanation at the end of it. So without further ado, I leave you with a conversation that I absolutely loved. This was a great day for me to meet her. Um, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Lama Sultrim, uh, thank you so much for joining me on the Evolving Spiritual Practice podcast. Nice to be with you. Yeah. And um, so we are going to talk about this uh, amazing practice that you've created um, called Feeding Your Demons. Um, and um, just to give a little bit of background about how I came across this this practice. Um, I In 2000, I did a dissertation at university on the practice called Chud, which is a Tibetan, for those listening, a Tibetan um, practice created by a lady called Machig Labron in the 11th century in Tibet. And um, at the time for me, it was kind of an academic study. Uh, and I was just fascinated by this really bizarre, exotic ritual with people practicing graveyards and they're playing a thigh bone trumpet and visualizing deities and having their heads cut off and making skull cauldrons and filling it with your your limbs and making nectar it was just so unlike anything i'd ever experienced in my christian you know quite traditional christian upbringing um and i was just fascinated by it and and but 
it's a very exotic practice um, with lots of very specifically t Tibetan um, cultural references in it. And it, it really represents the thinking of Tibetans in the 11th century, which is quite hard to access for Westerners. Um, so I, it's not something I took up as an actual practice at the time. It was more something I was just absolutely fascinated with. Um, but then um, I'd actually uh, had a picture of Machig Labdrum up in my house for the last 20 years. Um, so I'd always knew I had this kind of connection there. But I, I had a, a temporal lobe seizure um, about six months ago. And my normal med meditation practice wasn't just didn't feel right for it. I needed something that got really into... Um, focusing on pain and fear and those those kind of emotions and um by chance i came across a facebook comment that said that you'd written this book called feeding your demons and you'd created this practice which was a kind of modern version of the chud practice for westerners and um and i was really excited because i come across your work when i was writing my dissertation in 2000 i'd read your book um women of wisdom which has some stuff about Machig Labdrum and Chod in it. Um, so that's how, how I came across your practice about six months ago and instantly fell in love with it. And I've been practicing it pretty much every day for the last six months and it's been super powerful. So that's how um, I've come to find your practice. So I wondered if, if you'd mind, please, um, if you think it's appropriate to start this way, to just give a very brief um, unpacking of what the actual practice of feeding the demons is. So I evolved the practice of feeding your demons as really a method to teach the traditional chub practice that you reference because it's, it is very foreign and you, you have to sing in Tibetan and there's a drum and there's a bell. And you, so you're doing those three things at the same time. And it's very hard to enter into it in a meaningful way for a Westerner because you're you're translating the Tibetan in your mind the whole time you're singing it, so on. So uh, I was authorized to teach the Chib practice in 1984 by Chojil Namke Norba And so I began to do that. And so I evolved the five steps as really a, a sort of teaching aid to bring people into a more personal experience of what it meant to feed a demon. So it started out like that. And then my students, many of whom are therapists of various kinds, started to use this little exercise that I've developed with their clients. And then I realized, oh, this, this has an independent existence outside of sort of teaching aid for the traditional chud practice. And so I asked them what they were doing and exactly what they were doing and so on. And I discovered that people were doing different things, that it wasn't very precise. And so that's when I decided to write the book, Feeding Your Demons, and also to start training people and certifying people in the method to be sure that they were doing it correctly if they were going to use it with others. So there's five steps of feeding your demons. The first step 
has to do with coming into a felt relationship with what your demon is in your body. So what do I mean by demons? Because of course there's all kinds of Christian overlay to those, that word. And I almost changed that word when I wrote the book because, because of that. But then I decided actually because of that, I should leave the word. Yeah. Uh, demon. And, and then I looked up the word demon and discovered that in ancient times in Greece, the demon was the daemon. And the daemon was an inborn spirit that accompanied every person that came through the matrilineal side of the family. And I love that idea that actually the demon was a daemon. So what happened was that when Christianity took over and they wanted to negate everything pagan, then they turned this daemon, which was a very positive force in, in people's lives. And daemons could also be in trees and in, in sacred places and so on. They turned it into a negative thing, a, a, a demon. And in the practice of feeding your demons, it it does that. It goes from the, the negative demon to the ally, which is really like the positive daemon. In any case, in the first step, you feel where you hold that most strongly in your body. So what, what might a demon be? It could be a fear. It could be anxiety. Could be depression. Could be an addiction. It could be a physical illness or like you could work with this uh, seizure as as a demon. It, anything that you feel is taking your energy, draining you. And if it has to do with a relationship, and of course, lots of demons pop up in relationship, then you work with the feelings that are coming up for you in your body to do with that relationship, not the other person as a demon. So in the first step, you feel this in your body. And once you locate where you hold it most strongly in your body, perhaps recalling a situation where it came up strongly, you bring your attention there. And then there's a series of questions. And the first one is, what shape does it take in your body? The second one is, what color? would it have if, if it had a color? And the third is the consistency or texture. What, what kind of consistency does it have? And the fourth is its temperature. And so that's the first step is, is simply locating it. And then in the second step, you move that nucleus of energy out of your body and you allow it to be personified in front of you as a being. And it's important that it is actually personified as a being, that it's not like a tree or a rock or... Can I just interject here that it, sometimes when I've done it, I've found it difficult to... Uh, well, for example, one time uh, recently I did, I had a uh, like a, a clenched fist, like a gauntlet from a knight's suit of armour. 
and and I'd read in your book and heard you say that it's important to personify it and, and kind of give it a face. But some a few, on a few occasions, I've found it difficult to give a face or personify something. It's and and yeah, I don't know. It's um, so I'm sure it must be something you've come across people saying before. Yes. So there's a little trick I've learned when this arises at any point in the process where you get stuck and somehow you can't see it or it doesn't answer the questions you're asking or whatever. And so the little trick is, if I could see it, what would it look like? Or if I did know what it wants, what would that be? So you, the unconscious will try to sort of waylay the process or undermine the process, sabotage the process, because we're quite attached to our demons. And so when we start to kind of get at them, you know, get to see them, sometimes the unconscious will come in and block it. And so that little question, if I could, what would it be? So that's, yeah. that's um, actually works really well because you're not saying it is that, but you kind of like jump beyond that thing. I find sometimes that the the imagery moves really fast, um, and and if you pay very close attention, like if you ask that question, you know what what if it did have a face, what would it look like? An image just flashes up really quickly, and then you kind of like contract around it, like you know, oh that's silly or that's stupid or whatever, and and going with that first rapid image is quite often works uh, it's happened in other elements of the practice for me yeah that's that's a a good point that kind of first thought best yeah. thought and sometimes the other thing that can happen is it starts to morph right away and you don't know what to work with because it's changing shape or size or gender or whatever so what I advise in that situation is just keep it in the first image and tell those other images you'll work with them later or you'll see them later. Um, so should I go on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe actually um, we could just over the duration of this podcast, we could go through the practice and, and um, you know, I'd made some notes on some of the points. So rather than just go through the practice and then discuss it afterwards there's some things I, i've got you know to say from my own experience you know of doing the practice at some of these points and that might just be a tidy thing um to do it that way if that makes sense to you be good to lead people in the practice because so many questions dissolve when people are actually doing it mm. um and then maybe have some questions after, but I, I don't think it would be good to interrupt me when I'm doing the practice. Sure. Meeting people with comments or questions because they'll be in their own process. And yeah. then, so we don't know. That's cool. But I could, I could say something like this beforehand. Like, if this happens, this is what you do. Yeah. That's usually the main problem people have. So would you like me to just, uh, kind of back up and, and lead you in the feeding your demons practice. Sure. Yeah. Cause it will take a pretty long time to go through 
the process and it's just so much better to take people through it. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So I'll lead you through the process now of the five steps of feeding your demons. And for all of you at home, I would suggest that you find a, a quiet spot where you can change places. And what that means is you could either just stand up from where you're sitting and face the chair or the cushion where you're sitting, or you put a chair in front of you or another cushion in front of you where you'll sit for a little while. So during the process, we become the demon and we also become the ally. So that's the, the seat for the, those beings. So I'll talk a little bit before we begin about some things that might come up as questions for you during the practice. And so one of them is the difference between a want and a need. So <clears throat> you'll, when you're feeding your demon, you will be asking it first three questions. What do you want? What do you really need? And how will you feel if you get what you really need? So the difference between the want and the need is the want is the sort of more obvious thing that this demon's trying to get. Like, let's say for you with your seizures, the, the demon wants to stop you in your tracks. That's what it wants to do. But what's the need that's under that? Of course, I don't know what that, that answer would be for you, but uh, let's say the answer is, I need to relax and feel safe. So that's what's under the want. If you have an addiction that you're working with, the want is the substance, whatever that is. A lot of it and a constant supply. But the need might be a feeling of confidence or a feeling of relaxation or a feeling of connectedness. You know, a lot of people start drinking because they're shy and, and drinking relaxes them and makes them able to talk socially and feel more comfortable. So, so that's the, the underlying need is something deeper than the want. And then the third question is how will you feel? So it's a feeling if you get what you need. So that's the result of having that deeper need satisfied is that feeling. And that feeling is what you're going to feed the demon. So that's important to understand the difference between a want and a need. The other thing I would mention is if any point in the process becomes difficult and somehow you can't, let's say when you see the demon in front of you, or you're supposed to see the demon in front of you, you don't see anything, or you just see a partial figure, or you see something inanimate, then you 
ask yourself this little question, which is, if I could see it, what would it look like? And so you can use that, if I could, what would it, throughout the process. If at any point you're not seeing something or the answer isn't coming, like let's say what I really need is and there's no answer, then the, the way you work with that is, if I did know what I really need needed, what would it be? So <clears throat> those are two things to keep in mind. And the other thing is work with something that's real for you, that's actually up in your life right now. And it'll be much more profound and more powerful because your energy's caught in this, whatever it is. It could be like a, a fear, a financial fear, like how am I going to survive? Or it could be, is my partner going to leave me? Or it could be something more chronic, like a, a physical issue, like headaches that you get, or something like cancer even. You can use whatever you want. And of course, you can do this practice repeatedly, as, as, as you said that you did, that you are doing. And so don't feel like if I don't get the perfect demon right now, then I'll fail at feeding your demons. <laughs> this is just an experience so that you have the experience trying it. Okay, so everybody get comfortable. And we'll do the process with our eyes closed most of the time as much as possible. And so get into a, a position or a place where you feel comfortable with your eyes closed. And if possible, a quiet place. I, I don't recommend you do this while you're driving or while you're in a loud cafe or something like that. Do it at home in a quiet moment. Okay, so now we'll begin the process of feeding a demon. And before we begin, I'm gonna give you a moment of silence to think about what you might wanna work with today. So close your eyes and feel into what's going on for you today. But what's up for you? Is there something on your mind or on your heart that's heavy, taking your energy? Or perhaps you have a chronic situation like, like an addiction or a relationship issue that maybe isn't up right now, but it's there most of the time. Just take a moment and think about what you want to work with. And remember, it doesn't have to be the ultimate demon. It's just something for now. But it's good to work with something that is truly there for you. 
Okay. So now we'll do some relaxation breathing. Begin. And what I'd like you to do is to notice any physical tension you're holding in your body. Notice where you're holding that physical tension and bring the breath to that place. The in-breath, breathe into that place of physical tension and let it go with the out-breath. Physical tension. Imagine the breath hooks that physical tension and it rides out on the exhalation. Now notice any emotional tension that you're holding. Feel where you're holding emotional tension in your body. Breathe into that. Emotional tension. Imagine the breath hooks it and it rides out with the out breath. And now notice any mental tension, any thoughts or worries that you're holding. <clears throat> notice where you're holding those thoughts or worries in your body. Breathe into them. And let them go with your breath. And now we'll take a moment to generate an intention to do this practice for the benefit of all beings everywhere. A heartfelt motivation. Sometimes it's helpful to put your hand on your heart when you generate this motivation. Not your physical heart, but the center of your chest. benefit of all beings. And now we'll begin with the first step, thinking about what you decided to work with today perhaps recalling a situation where it came up strongly. Scan your body while you're thinking about that and notice where in your body you hold this most strongly.
Bring your attention to that place where you find it and in your body most strongly. Keep thinking about this issue. And now imagine if this were to have a shape or take a shape in your body, what kind of shape would it be? And if it were to have a color, what color would it be? What is its texture or consistency like? What kind of consistency does it have in your body? What is its temperature? Now bring your full attention to that place in your body with its shape color, texture, or consistency, and temperature. Intensify it. And now imagine that that shape with its color, consistency, temperature moves out of your body. And if it feels helpful, you can actually take your hands and make a gesture of taking it out of your body. And it appears in front of you, takes form in front of you, is personified in front of you as a being, a being with arms and legs, head, face. If somehow you don't see it, use that little phrase. If I did see it, what would it look like? At the moment while it's personified as a being. Now notice the size of this being. How big is it? Does it have a gender? If so, what is its gender?
what's the surface of its body like its skin or whatever co covers its body what is that like What is the density of its body? Now look into its eyes. you see in its eyes? What is its emotional state? Is its color or colors? What kind of character or personality does it have in general? Now notice something about it that you didn't see before. Something that was there, but you didn't notice it. We're going to ask it three questions. I'll give you those questions one at a time. And then you ask the demon that question. What do you want? What do you want? What do you really need? What do you really need? How will you feel if you get what you really need? Feel if you get what you really need. And now change places and take the seat of the demon. Or you can stand and take the posture of the demon. It's up to you. Take a moment to come into the demon's body. what it's like to be in that body that size that gender if it had one be in that emotional state of that character 
and notice what your ordinary self looks like from the demon's point of view. And now we'll answer those questions one at a time. I'll give you the beginning of each answer and then repeat that beginning and finish it and be sure to stay in the body of the demon. What I want is, what I want is What I really need is, what I really need is, if I get what I really need, I will feel. I get what I really need, I will feel. This is a feeling. Get what I really need, I will feel. Remembering the answer to that third question, I get what I really need and feel. Come back to your original seat. And take a moment, come into your body. Body and see the demon in front of you again. Feel the presence of the demon. And now imagine that your own body dissolves. Whole body dissolves into nectar. And notice the color of that nectar. And that nectar has the quality of the feeling the demon will have when it gets what it really needs. And that's the quality of the nectar, is that feeling. The body dissolves into that nectar. And Feeling is in the nectar. And then the nectar begins to move toward the demon and to nurture it. It perhaps drinks it. Or it could go in from 
all the surface of its body to the top of its head. Just notice as the nectar gets to the demon, this quality the demon will feel when it gets what it really needs. How is the demon taking it in? Being fed, being nurtured by this feeling in the nectar. There's an infinite quantity of nectar. Feeding it to complete satisfaction. Notice what's happening with the demon as it's gradually becoming satisfied. Gradually becoming completely satisfied. Notice if the demon morphs in some way as it's satisfied. The demon will keep taking it in until it's completely satisfied. completely satisfied and if somehow it's not again use that phrase if it were completely satisfied what would it look like Now notice if there's a being that remains there once the demon is satisfied. And if there is, ask that being, are you the ally? It may be and it may not be. So just ask, are you the ally? If it says yes, we'll work with that. If not, or if the demon dissolved completely, melted away in some way, 
we will now invite the ally to appear. Take a moment. Isn't the ally to invite the ally to appear? And the ally takes shape in front of you. And now notice the size of the ally. Well, how big is it? And does it have a gender? What color is it or what color is it wearing? Notice the density of the ally's body. And notice the surface of the ally's body. What is that like? into the ally's eyes. What do you see in the ally's eyes? What's the emotional state of the ally? What is the character, personality of the ally like? And now notice something about the ally that you didn't notice before. It was always there, but you didn't see it. And now we'll ask the allies some questions. I'll give you the questions one at a time and then you repeat them asking the ally this question. How will you help me? How will you protect me? How will you protect me? What is your pledge to me? What is your pledge to me?
How can I access you? How can I access you? And then change places and become the ally. The body of the ally. Take a moment to notice what the ally feels like in your body and what you look like from the ally's point of view. And now we'll answer those questions as the ally. I'll give you the beginning of each answer. I will help you by, I will help you by I will protect you by protect you by My pledge to you is, my pledge to you is, you can access me by, access me by, And now come back into your original seat, being the alley in front of you, keeping your eyes closed as much as possible. Take a moment to come back into your own body and see the alley in front of you. And notice the protective, supportive energy coming from the eyes of the ally, particularly toward you, really from the whole body of the ally. Feel that energy of the ally coming into your body, 
and spreading through your whole body. Notice that feeling. Presence of the ally and notice how that feels in your body. And then the ally dissolves into light. Notice the color of that light. And then that light comes into your body, spreads through your whole body, And it's like that luminosity is washing, purifying each cell of your body with that color, that light. And it's going all the way down into your feet, up into your head. And to your arms, all the way to the tips of your fingers, the whole trunk of your body, completely imbued with this luminosity. And now your own body with the integrated energy of the ally also dissolves. Dissolves. The body dissolves and rests in what's ever present after the dissolution. Distressed. And then come back into your body, recalling the energy of the ally in your body. Feel it again, that luminosity in your cells. And notice how this feels in a way that you will be able to recall it. And then gradually open your eyes. But as you open your eyes, keep an awareness of 
the energy of the ally in your body. So as you look around a little bit, keep the feeling of the ally in your body. And now you'll be able to recall this whenever you need it. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for leading uh, everybody through that. What a journey. Wowzers. Yeah, oh, I had so many questions to ask you but it's been great to just let go of all of that and just be led through the practice because it's it's um yeah it's so such a rich practice and it um this is the, this practice you created is the absolute bullseye of what my podcast is about evolving spiritual practice that this is such a good example of an ancient practice, keeping the, the 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 genuine flavor, the original flavor of it, but um, transmuting it into a, into a way that Westerners can get really. And this has just been the history of Buddhism, you know, as it's gone all over the world. You know, it happened in Tibet, didn't it? With the Indian forms changed, and this is just a natural evolution of. Buddhism and I'm I'm so grateful for you stepping up and making this um, this happen yeah the um, I really did this for myself uh, a lot of the practices that I adapted or evolved was for myself to be able to really make them useful in what I was actually going through in my life, rather than Tibetan Buddhism being like this foreign garment that I put on, this kind of cool foreign garment. Uh, I wanted it to be real and to have a real impact on me. So I had to sort of translate it in a way uh, for, for myself. And of course, literally translate as well. And I do teach very traditional practice. But I also found as I watched Buddhism come to the West, and in myself as well as my friends, because we were that first generation who, who uh, saw this happen and were in it, that there needs to be the simultaneous development of, I guess you could say, emotional intelligence along with spiritual development. Because you can do a lot of practice and have a great meditation practice and then just be a jerk or um, not evolved emotionally and, and not evolved in terms of how you relate to others and so on. And so I try to 
figure that out. Like, how can these two things go forward at, at the same time? And so feeding your demons and also the mandala work that I evolved, I don't know if you've um, read w Wisdom Rising, my latest book about the mandala principle. Not, not yet, certainly I'm going to. Yeah, then that that's that um, working with the mandala for the same thing, that sort of simultaneous spiritual and emotional clarification, development, and so on. So <clears throat> being in that first generation of, of um, people who received these amazing teachings from the great masters of Tibet who, who actually were trained in Tibet and, you know, like Kala Rinpoche, the 16th Karmapa, Dujan Rinpoche, Kensa Rinpoche, all those lamas. Um, I had that privilege of of knowing them and receiving teachings, but you know, I'm a Western woman. I ended up having three children, and I needed things that worked for my situation. And so, really, I a lot of what I teach is what I figured out for myself. It, the the your practice is like uh, that you're feeding the demons practice is a blend of meditation shamanism and psychotherapy, kind of all seamlessly woven into this one practice, um, and uh, I think that it's it's so true what you say that the psychotherapeutic dimension of growing up emotionally. Um, is so key because otherwise meditation can just be a way of um, bypassing exit that's it bypassing yeah. it all yeah yeah and it's um, it's really important that that those things happen together also because otherwise you get a lot of problems in the Dharma centers or you know amongst amongst the sanghas because people just are not evolved uh, or aware of their own shadow. So a lot of my work has to do with the shadow, what Jung called the shadow. Um, there's parts of ourselves that we disown and that's, that's not me. <laughs> I might've acted like that, but that's not me. Um, <clears throat> so like the demons and also in the mandala work, we work with the transformation of the encumbered pattern, I call it, in the Tibetan, they call it the poison. But I, I see it's actually an encumbered pattern and the energy that's tied up in the, our encumbered patterns when it's free is just energy and becomes wisdom and has a certain flavor. So, yeah, it's uh, I'm really excited that now there's two scientific studies on feeding your demons i'm not sure you're, you're aware of that but they've been published one qualitative and one quantitative um that was done with 60 people and a, a group that wasn't doing it as well as the group that was and uh the results were very very amazing uh, if, if people want to find those studies wh where were they done on the if they could look on the internet 
the varieties of contemplative experiences, experiences and practices. Um, and the name of it is Transforming Adversity into an Ally, a Qualitative Study of Feeding Your Demons Meditation. And it's Eve Ekman, uh, PhD, Berkeley, um, and, and other people did it with her. Um, and she, these people did Feeding Your Demons for a month every other day or 15 times and twice with so, like what I just did, somebody guiding them and the rest of the time by themselves. And they kept journals about what was happening. And then they they uh, investigated how, how did this work for anxiety? How did it work for depression and addiction? Those were the three things they were testing. So that's the first one that's qualitative. And, and the, the quantitative is um, emotional, Emotion and psychopathology.org. That's the emotion and psychotherapy.org. That's all one word. And uh, the title of the article is Randomized Controlled Trial of the Tibetan Buddhist Feeding Your Demons Contemplative Process in Meditation Practitioners. And that's Philip Golden, Amy Braun, and also Eve Ekman as part of that. And um, so, yeah, it's it's in the journal of emotion and psychopathology. So those those are the the two studies, and I think there will be more now that those have been published. Mm. You know, nobody believes anything in this as a scientific study. <laughs> so, I mean, nobody really believed in meditation before until there were studies. Yeah, it became became sort of. Um, spreadable because of scientific studies. So <clears throat> now we have these studies of feeding your demons. And of course, people that do it all know that it works. But once you have a study, then uh, it's proven. It's it's yeah. all it's all part of the shoehorning into the Western mind, you know, the Western, um, you know, kind of gestalt. Yeah. Um, world and it legitimizes it in our world and of course something isn't really proven until there's a lot of studies um but this is the beginning of a very um positive uh result yeah for well um you've been so generous um with your time lama sultram um really really appreciate it and um you have a, a web, a main website, um, which if you could just share that so people can find the kind of the umbrella uh, yeah. site for your work, please. Yeah, uh, our website is Tara, T-A-R-A, Mandala, M-A-N-D-A-L-A, dot org, taramandala.org. And there's no dots or anything, it's just those two words. And it's a pretty big website. Uh, we do a lot of activities. We, there's a big retreat center in Colorado. So it's all registration, housing, all that to do with the retreat center. And then there's a lot of uh, different things that you can get from it, including uh, feeding your demons. And the other thing that I should mention is there is an online feeding your demons program 
that can take you all the way through certification as somebody who can use this professionally. And we now also have developed some teachers who can teach weekends on it. And then we have other teachers who can teach it or authorized to teach it uh, longer and uh, during other kinds of retreats. So feeding your demons online is uh, a good way if people are listening and they're maybe all over the world. I, I don't know who your listenership is, but uh, we have people in South Africa, in Asia, in um, Korea, Singapore, all over, who, who are doing Feeding Your Demons and becoming certified in it. And the book is, I think, in 27 languages now, which is amazing. Like, it, like it's in Korean. It's in um, Bosnian. It's... Uh, it's it's in Croatia. It's it's in the Scandinavian languages and so on. And I think that's because this notion of demons is universal, and everybody has them, and everybody tries to get rid of them and spends a lot of time and money trying to get rid of them. But it's not until we actually meet them, have some ca compassion for them, pay attention to what they really need, that we will know we will know them and they will relax and integrate. Another interesting thing that, that uh, just has evolved recently is I did this for a group of people in Costa Rica. And, and one of them is Dr. Dan Siegel, who's uh, done a lot on mindfulness and, and the mind in general and attachment theory and children and so on. And uh, Dan was really excited about it. And he said, this is brilliant. This is just amazing. And I said, why? why, why do you say that? And he said, because that second question, what do you really need? That's getting at the fundamental attachment need that a baby has. And when those attachment needs are not met properly at that phase in life, then we develop strategies to meet those needs that actually don't meet those needs, like addictions and all of our other things, our anxieties and depression and so on, are really all strategies to try to get rid of something that you don't get rid of by fighting against it. And so he said, this is such a direct way and then that you, you offer that to that part of your personality is fundamentally healing. And so that was really interesting for me to hear. And we actually did a talk together in Costa Rica and probably will publish that article at some point about what he what he sees in it. Yeah, well, it's, it's the center of the bullseye for, for my own practice of um, feeding my demons. Um, in fact, what I was, the whole journey I went on when you were guiding uh, the, the, through the process just now was all to do with uh, secure attachment um interestingly yeah i've just been listening to some podcasts by john churchill today um and he was talking about um you know finding this sort of fundamental secure attachment with the the mother the ground of being inside us you know but not in the abs i mean it's, it's quite easy to abstract that kind of thing and that can happen in sort of more classic meditation practices whereas this 
this is, is, is very grounded um, and well, I, I don't know, it's sen full of sensation and um, emotion, you know, and, and that's that's one of the the wonderful things about it. It's it's not uh, it, it, it uh, stymies your your cognitive mind, you know, and, and the kind of, you know, the left brain gets taken out temporarily, you know, and you and uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the uh, if you notice with feeding your demons, you keep coming back to the body. Mm. You know, how, where do you find it in your body? And then again, it being in the body of the demon, being in the body of the ally, and so on. But then it has these Buddhist elements, like at the end, you and the ally dissolve. <laughs> and it's really a meditation in emptiness, but I don't say that. You just have the experience of, of sort of naked awareness at the end. And, and most psychotherapeutic methods don't take you there. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me of the sand mandalas. You know, you make this sort of beautiful design and at the end of it, push it all away with your Vajra um, instruments and mm -hmm. and clear it all all away. And yeah, that's... So yeah, because uh, people could quite often think that this was just a psychotherapeutic technique. Yeah. Um, and it's also a Dharma um you all three bodies nirmanakaya sambhogakaya and dharmakaya in the you know tibetan tradition are all present in this practice um and uh it's it's not a simple western psychotherapeutic practice and then the the generation of the aspiration to do it for the benefit of all beings is of course raising bodhicitta without calling it that mm. and um and so that's those are kind of the Buddhist elements that are in it. Yeah. Besides mindfulness and awareness, of course, which is what you need for the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, to stabilize the whole thing. Yeah, because it it can get quite wild, and if you get distracted, yeah, definitely. Yeah, thank you so much uh, once again, and um, it's been a, been absolute delight to encounter your practice and to spend this time with you um thank you so much well thank you for finding me and finding it and your interest and yeah i i uh, hope we connect more in the future and and i wish you the very best with your podcast thank you so much love <laughs> bye bye, -bye. I made all the music that I use in my podcasts. If you'd like to hear more of my music, please visit SoundCloud and check out my profile, Ralph Crew.